slash and cast. Welcome back, fiends, to Handle with Scare, presented by the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Our show discusses horror movies and the phobias they emphasize. With the year slowly wrapping up, we'll be taking a look back at some of our fiendish favorites of 2023. Before I introduce you to tonight's film and my co-host, just a few general reminders for you guys. You can stay connected with us over on X at Handle with Scare, and be sure to join us for our Twisted Tuesday Watch Parties, which are held every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time, and that is over at kick.com forward slash drunk. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Grindhouse Zombie, and Grind, you know, as we've mentioned, you know, the, uh, the genre offerings for the year kind of been a little bit all over the place, uh, and I'm really hoping that, you know, with the lineup that we have this month, maybe we could find, you know, a few gems, or maybe, you know, introduce people to uh, maybe a couple of movies that uh, they haven't had on the radar. So, you know, this is a great way to, uh, you know, really take a look back because uh, tonight's selection was one of the first movies I actually watched this year. Uh, and it had been, you know, basically close to, you know, 11 months since I had first watched it. So it was good to, uh, to go back, see if my feelings changed on the movie. Still really enjoy it, but uh, definitely different uh for for a number of reasons one in regards to the genre uh two uh for the subject matter probably not as violent as what you would anticipate kind of like heading into the movie but uh, i tried to like keep my lips shut in regards to like a lot of the subject matter uh leading into this so people can kind of like go in with a fresh mind well, you've been talking about this literally since January, and so there's a point where when your when your podcast partner has been talking about something for almost twelve consecutive months, you, you have to watch it. Now, let's just get this out of the way. I didn't find it anywhere nearly as entertaining as you did. Um, granted, it was a first watch through a twisted Tuesday, and a lot of those for a movie like this. I honestly believe it's one of those movies where you really need to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. And often Twisted Tuesday is not the place to do that. Right. Um, so I have it on my list. I've already bought it and I've got it queued up. So I will, I will watch it again. Uh, tonight, I'm probably not going to be super kind to it, but that also doesn't mean that my feelings might not change. Mm -hmm. We'll see. We'll see. And I did struggle to figure out where I had seen... Uh, the main actress, Haley Law, before, and I, I, I just hammered my brain, and finally I just said, screw it, and I Googled it, and I think it was Spontaneous was what mm -hmm. I knew her from. Yep. So, um, love the actress, love her presence. Um, ultimately, this is, a, this is a noir movie, and, you know, um, I love the movie Sin City. I love it. Mm -hmm. If I'm not in the right mood for it, I have no desire to watch it, and I think this falls in that category. So, I'm going to reserve most of my judgment and just say I wasn't in the right mood. 
Um, and you also brought a movie to Twisted Tuesday that wasn't really a horror movie. So I'm, I'm looking I'm looking forward to next week when we reviewed Titanic. And then shortly <laughs> after that, uh, we're going to do Love Actually. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this new change that we've done. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, we we had a musical. Well, we've had a couple. Uh, but you know, like it's it's fine. Uh, there are definitely elements of this story that pull from real life horrors. Uh, so tonight we're talking Dormouse, which came out uh, 2023. Again, uh, synopsis for this: a comic book creator working at a burlesque club enlists the help of a colleague to figure out what's behind the disappearances of young women in their circle. In this oddball neo-noir uh now dormouse is a directorial and writing feature debut from uh even jogia and this is a, a a very small canadian independent flick uh so without giving too much of the plot away uh you know again this is neo-noir it's more of in like a the thriller category uh to be honest uh but it does have a fairly big like dosage of uh, punk rock to it. Uh, and here, you know, you don't have your typical like whiskey chugging PI that you would normally have in, you know, these noir flicks. Uh, instead, we have our comic book artist slash burlesque dancer mouse, uh, which, you know, the naming of it in itself is very ironic because this character, despite what the name might imply, is far from timid. Uh, Mouse is often guarded and tough, uh, played again, as you mentioned, by uh, Haley Law, uh, who, you know, brings a number of one-liners and uh, a very stoic presence uh, towards this particular role. Uh, she is very loyal to her fellow dancers who work at this club. Uh, she's brave. One of the few people here who uh, actually has, like, the gumption to actually, like, start to ask the hard questions which, of course, you know, you start poking, you know, your head around into these dark corners of the world. And, of course, sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in hot water. And sure enough, that is exactly what happens in this movie. Uh, so, you know, we have Mouse, our vigilante, uh, who is alarmed by the disappearances of her friends. So she decides to take matters into her own hands. Uh, much to the chagrin of her ex-boyfriends, uh, her, I, I wouldn't say love interest, uh, because it's not reciprocated, uh, you know, at the start of the movie, uh, but regardless, every step of the way, everyone is telling Mouse, you know, to basically, like, tread lightly, you know, because, like, it's only a matter of time before, you know, the bad guys... Uh, show up and take matters into their own hands. Well, one of the most interesting parts of this movie, too, is that she they do build her up to be this kind of like badass. I don't want to call her a femme fatale exactly, mm -hmm. even though if you think about it, she sort of is. Right. Um, she sort of has her own uh, moral compass. She's going to do what she wants. Um, but then this thing, the like the overall like there's this overarching comic book theme and I'm like, it, it even comes through in the names of all the characters. You have mouse, ugly mama, crawdaddy, the dame, doe eyes, sweets. Um, and that I think it was interesting because it kept it 
I don't want to say the word simple. It didn't keep it simple. It kept it concise, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and it didn't take very long to figure out who was who. You, you kind of knew, like, and so as you, as you went and as the movie progressed and you were figuring out what was going on and as Mouse was digging deeper and deeper into this story, that was kind of one nice part for me, again, being a noir movie. And noir movies are, I mean, they're notorious for twists and turns and sort of keeping you confused, right? I mean, that's kind of a big piece of that whole thing. What's the next twist going to be? What's the next twist going to be? Um, this one, I think, was more concise. Um, you know, again, despite my overall level of entertainment, um, a lot of interesting characters in this, and a lot of the story, especially with Mouse and just how, just how Mouse lived her life, you know? Just like, there's a morning where she gets up, there's a dude in her bed, and she literally shoves him out and is like, get lost, you know? <laughs> I mean, and it's like, and that's, but that's usually, that's usually a role reserved for men in a lot of movies, you know, mm -hmm. just kick it, kicking the girl to the curb and telling her to catch a cab and hit the bricks, you know? So, um, nice to see a, a powerhouse female character in a movie. Cause it's kind of, they're pretty few and far between right now. Yeah. And, uh, it's one of the only ones in like this particular setting where it is a female person of color lead, uh, in that particular role. Usually it's, you know, a white guy in his, you know, fifties, <laughs> uh, playing the PI role. Uh, in these types of movies. Uh, so, you know, with the War Mouse, again, a lot of comic book inspired interludes kind of like sprinkled throughout this. And, and really, the world within Dormouse, not too far off from reality. I mean, let's face it, you know, here you have the white, the rich and the powerful willing to do whatever it takes to, you know, really satiate their deepest desires. You know, this is a capitalist society that really exploits, you know, queer folk, people of color, sex workers, and of course the poor, because, you know, we're in a not-so-great area uh, in, in this particular movie. Uh, but one of the things I find most intriguing about this is Dormouse does a pretty good job at not really smearing our faces in regards to the heavy topics that it is trying to talk about. You know, it's not sexually violent, as people might, uh, you know, not quite expect for, for you know, the sex work aspect of this. And really, the only violence that is depicted in the movie is against the bad guys. Well, when you talk about violence and then especially sexual violence, I mean, let's be honest, you and I watch a lot of horror movies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we expect there to be the three Bs, the babes, the boobs, and the blood. Um, that said, and especially getting into this being a noir movie, um, I think you're absolutely right. Violence in a movie, bad guys getting killed, good guys dying, we, we've all been there. And this is coming from someone who is a 50-year-old white conservative from the Midwest. I don't like seeing sexual violence in movies. It makes me feel yucky. Mm -hmm. It really does. Um, and I think you're right. They do, they do tiptoe around it just enough in here that you know what's going on, but they don't have to give you that swing open the cell door and there's that cum stained mattress with the, the leather. So they don't have to do that. Um, and it was one of the things where when this movie first started, I honestly figured I was going to see that scene. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, dude, why <laughs> you know just because those they're just and there's lots of movies uh throughout the history of time that have those scenes that woman bound to a cum stained mattress thing and you know when i was 13 years old those were awesome <laughs> okay well i'm not 13 anymore and i understand what has to happen for those scenes to come about so they're just at this point just kind of disgusting so you know if if they use it 
in furtherance of a story, most times I can forgive it. A lot of movies these days don't do that. They use it because it's of the shock and awe value. And it doesn't, for me, work anymore. I just, I don't, I don't need it. Um, so it was nice that this movie didn't do that. But it definitely still kept you in a place where you understood that the people in this movie were in peril. Uh, there was definitely a dynamic amongst, uh, we'll call it, socioeconomic tiers of people. Um, but then at the same time, to what you talked about, when you've got a, when you've got a female lead in a movie who is an ultra badass, and, you know, she's... And, and I'll, I'll admit, I've gotten to a point at my age where I often, I often don't see people of color anymore, and maybe that's good or bad. I, I, don't, I just see you as good or bad actor. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of what I see. Um, she did a phenomenal job, and she did such a good job that it was, it was bugging me that I couldn't figure out. I couldn't remember where I had seen her before, and I ended up having to look it up. Um, so she has got both a presence and a look that I think is unique to, you know, our typical Hollywood actor, actress. Um, And I'm loving the fact that more and more we're not seeing in leads of movies. It seems like we're straying away from, I guess, what I call classic beauty. And we're getting into these more, these people that, I mean, maybe they're not classically beautiful, but they've got a presence and a style and just an aura about them that just makes them, um, they really stand out, you know? And if, if somebody has a problem with a person saying, Oh, I thought that actress was really attractive. Well, you know what? Go jump off a fucking bridge. I don't have time for you. I don't want to listen to your shit. Um, but Haley law is a beautiful young lady, but she has got such an intense screen presence. I mean, you can't, and everything about her, just the way they dressed her in this movie, the way that they did her hair, just the way that she strutted, she just had something about her where it's like you could not ignore her character. Her character captivated every scene she was in. Yeah, and uh, really, Mouse's days start very, very typical uh, in the afternoons, <laughs> uh, basically every day in this case. Uh, but also, you know, with plenty of uh, existential dread. And a cup of bad coffee, which just ruins the taste of her cigarettes. Uh, you know, very, very relatable uh, character on this end. Uh, and again, you know, she is a comic book artist. Problem is, her comics haven't really been selling too well, despite the fact that the comic book store owner is constantly always praising her uh, for the kind of work that she does. But it's not quite really finding its audience. You know, they're, you know, the the comic book. Uh, Buyers are looking for something with a little bit more edge. So, of course, as the story progresses, she starts to uh, put pen to paper and start drawing uh, the comic issues revolving around the disappearances of her co-workers, uh, which, of course, everyone seems to love. But, of course, they have no idea that this is actually based on shit that is actually happening all around them. Uh, now, to continue kind of like the comic book trend of this movie, we also have our OG Jean Grey, uh, who plays Mama. Uh, she runs the burlesque club. Uh, and, you know, she seems like the kind of person who, uh, at least early on, generally cares about the girls who work in the club and always does her best to protect them from everything bad that comes their way. Because uh, really, in, you know, in the world of Dormouse, evil is lurking around, you know, 
every fair gender to pounce on them at every possible opportunity that they get. Uh, so, like, for example, like, we have one of our regulars who, you know, visits the burlesque club. You know, you got Kelly, uh, who is constantly bothering Riz. And basically, every single day is getting thrown out of the club uh, again and again, but continues to come back doing the same thing, uh, and he ends up kind of... Kind of, uh, getting mixed into all of this, uh, and is the scapegoat for the men in the suits, unfortunately. So, uh, hard, hard to act innocent when you're constantly making yourself look guilty in some aspects of your life, I guess, in this case. <laughs> well, I liked what you said about how she starts her days. And the funniest part about that, as somebody who's... You know, I'm going to be 50 in a couple of months, right? Mm -hmm. um, watching movies throughout time. I don't know what it is about filmmakers and the, you know, the super creative people, the people that have the ability to go out and make movies. Um, but for some reason, they have this feeling that people that work nine to fives don't wake up with the same existential dread that they do, <laughs> which is just absolutely blows my mind. It just, it's just more of a factor of, I just have to be somewhere at nine o'clock mm -hmm. versus you have to be somewhere for your, you know, your strip show or whatever else at two in the afternoon. Um, it, so go, going through all of that, going through mama and I love mama because she is, she does seem to be like the one um, caring person in this, but she also seems like she has a little bit of an iron fist when it comes to her house and the way things are going to be. Um, and then just overall, the rest of the characters, I mean, even going, the only character that I fundamentally don't really like is Mooney. And I'm going to tell you why. As the as the writer and director of this, he was also Leon Kennedy in the Resident Evil movie. And I, <laughs> oh, and, and I hated that character. If there was ever a character I wanted to bitch slap, openly just bitch slap, it was that character in that movie. I hated that. So, but other than that, yeah, most of the characters in here, they really, they fit their part well. Um, even down to um, Eddie Conway's character, mm -hmm. where he just seems to be kind of a sad tag along, but he's kind of up for whatever. I mean, he was he was kind of fun to watch. And then, you know, looking for her friend who has truly disappeared, Doe Eyes. I mean, every character in this was just was really fun. But I still with the noir piece of it and that that weird break in reality between the creative and the quote unquote non-creative. And again, that existential dread that you feel when you have to go to work, that is not something that is only for the creative people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, of course, uh, you know, we, we have our terrible men characters in this, but, you know, we also have some of the decent men in this. You know, we, we have Eddie, who you mentioned, who uh, frequently visits the club just to see Riz. Uh, you have the bartender, Sweets, uh, who's, you know, always there to, to pour a drink, uh, you know, take patrons back home. Uh, if, you know, they don't want to be alone or, you know, walk home alone or anything like that or, to, you know, hail a camper, whatever for them. Uh, but, of course, we also have Mouse's friend Ugly, uh, who is, you know, our slick suit wearing uh, young man in this who is clearly in love with uh, Mouse, but, you know, doesn't get those feelings reciprocated. Uh, and a lot of times, Mouse actually mocks him over being a good guy in, you know, this world, which is just chock full of darkness. Uh, and of course, you know, the darkness really adds to, like, the very gloomy look of this town. You know, you 
Uh, you have all these people who are hanging out around the club as life just keeps, like, trying to kick them while they're down. But, like, right out of the gate, we have the disappearance of Doe-Eyes, uh, who is one of the dancers who works at Mama's Club, uh, who just, you know, suddenly stops coming to work, and, you know, Mouse and Ugly decide to look into the matter. And, of course, you know, we do our typical house call, you know, make sure everything's okay, Place is turned over pretty good. And of course, they do come across uh, some drugs, which also just so happen to have some of uh, Mouse's artwork on the baggie. So again, right out of the gate, it's like, all right. Obviously, there's a lot of tension in regards to like drug use and the dancers because uh, Mama doesn't want to have, uh, you know, dancers working at her club who are using and abusing in this case. Uh, so that's very frowned upon, and if she found out, she would probably just, you know, put doe-eyes on the street, really. Uh, but, you know, also not the nicest of apartments either, uh, but just the fact that, you know, we have our early connection. You know, this movie does a, a, a great job at, like, trying to piece everything together early on. So you're never really, like, left in the dark about, like, what direction, like, the story could take here. One of the things that I found interesting about this is that they got they got deep on not only what this club was and, and the people that worked at the club, but then the lifestyle that it presents. Um, and to to clarify that, I think about movies like uh, Striptease, right? We have, uh, you know, a woman who's a stripper by day and a doting mother by or a stripper by night and a doting mother by day. And then you have showgirls where you just have this young corn-fed lady that come, wants to come in and just make it big and as much as each one of those movies tries to give you a little bit of the dark side they sort of don't really ever get there um and i think this movie gives you a heaping helping of the dark side um but at the same time sort of um tinges it with at the same time it feels dark but it's a lot of people just trying to get by. And, and, it's, and that's kind of what, uh, it, it, you know, goes back to that existential dread that you talked about. It's like we all have that. And the, what we would all, the, the lengths we would go to to try to stave off that existential dread and get through the day um, are, I think, a little bit different depending on where you are. And I like the fact about this that it did not, it didn't sugarcoat it. Mm -hmm. It made it, you know, not like, okay, so I'm not a guy that hangs out at a strip club all day long and is hoping to save the strippers <laughs> and all that, you know, I'm not that guy. Um, but I think it gave you a pretty good look into, and I think you've said it, like the reality of things, you know, and even if you are like Mouse, who is, you know, essentially a do-gooder, I mean, she really is kind of our do-gooder of the movie, um, and she's looking out for her friends. Not all of her friends are do-gooders. They're not all what you'd call the greatest of people. But she also has a, you know, a fine-tuned enough moral compass to understand that they don't, whatever their, their failings may be as human beings, they don't deserve to, you know, befall this evil fate, you know? And that's a big piece of, I think, why she goes and starts looking and starts digging. And then to your point, pretty much everybody she encounters says, just drop it and look the other way. And she's just not willing to do that. And she... I, for our heroine, she is just absolutely a badass. There's no getting around it. She is absolutely a badass. 
Yeah, so after they find uh, the drugs in Doe Eye's apartment uh, that's been ransacked, Mouse pays a visit to uh, Mooney, who is her ex-slash-drug dealer. Uh, and, uh, you know, they hook up, you know, as you would come to expect. And, uh, you know, I, I love that the next morning, you know, they do the whole, like... Well, I didn't just come here for the sex, <laughs> you know. So, so when he's like getting ready to uh, to start his day, and and I I love the fact that like she's kind of like poking fun at like how like sunlight doesn't suit him well, <laughs> like it looks bad on him. <laughs> like a lot, a lot of a lot of the the dialogue in this movie from uh, from Mouse, I just find absolutely fucking hilarious. Uh, but it, of course, you know she's trying to find like that connection, uh, and she you know, makes a big deal about, like, not wanting him to use uh, her art uh, for, you know, slain in whatever product he may be selling on the streets. Uh, so in this encounter, Mouse finds out from Mooney uh, that, you know, he hasn't seen Doe Eyes for, you know, about a week because that was the last time she came in to buy, uh, you know, but he also confesses that, like, he didn't sell drugs to her. Uh, so, you know, he suggests that, you know, Mouse looks into uh, Crawdaddy, uh, who is a woman trafficker who is neck deep in all kinds of terrible things uh, that, of course, you know, tickles the fancy of a lot of the evil men in this town. And, of course, you know, there's, uh, there's uh, a lot of tiptoeing around, like, okay, like, if you want answers, you're going to have to do something for me uh, in, in this case, because that, that's just how these guys work. So Crawdaddy claims to have no involvement in Doe-Eye's disappearance, uh, but he does have some valuable information, which he's only going to share if Mouse and Ugly manage to run a couple of errands for him. Uh, so Crawdaddy basically gives him this task to scare a judge... Uh, you know, with a couple of despicable photos that he just who happens to have copies of, should anything happen to the ones that are in this, you know, sealed envelope. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't want to take the risk, uh, because the judge is, you know, of course, rich and powerful, and essentially has all, all the legal privileges of the judicial system. And uh, what I love about, like, the direction that this takes is it's a little too easy with the way that they, like, set it up because it ties directly into Ugly. Because uh, Ugly's father just so happens to be one of the rich lawyers, uh, which kind of, like, draws the ire of Mouse, uh, who is constantly, like... Wondering, like, well, why didn't you tell me that uh, you grew up rich and, you know, that you were spoon-fed, basically? Movie dichotomies are always interesting to me. Uh, mostly because when you break a lot of this stuff down, there is almost no dichotomy at all. Mm -hmm. uh, the dichotomy ends up being, and this is a movie that does it, being, it's the rich and the poor, right? <laughs> um, our character, Mooney, clearly, clearly has some privilege. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say that he was Leon Kennedy and I want to punch him. And he was also Berkeley in Zombieland 2, which makes me want to punch him twice. <laughs> uh, it, it goes more to your point about sunlight. Yeah, you're right. Sunlight doesn't suit him. Um, 
The thing I like about Mouse, and especially when she comes to Mooney's apartment, is that she's definitely there for a purpose. But the whole scene comes off like, I'm here for a purpose, and I'm going to do what I have to do. But as long as I'm here, I might as well get laid. Mm-hmm. You know, and see, I think, I think taking away that quid pro quo thing and making it about her trying to accomplish her goal, but also being able to express her sexual freedom and just do what she wants, you know, and again, I'm an almost 50 year old conservative guy from the Midwest. I, I have thoughts on marriage and sex and whatever else. When I watch my movies and I want to take in things like this, I want people to be free. I want people to make their own decisions. Now, do I know or do I think in my life that, hey, it might, it might lead to bad choices or what? Yeah, maybe. But you know what? Ultimately, who gives a fuck? It's a movie, you know? But I I am a person who, like, I have a wife who grew up fortunate, moved to a new state, put herself through school, got a master's degree, and is just an absolute badass. I love strong women in movies, and I so love that they just kept, they kept Mouse growing stronger and stronger and stronger through this. And the fact that when she effectively encounters what I can only call like a cabal of rich people, you know, that it feels like a bunch of closed and penerable doors and there's no, there's no way to get through them. He has this, well, you know what? I got a big fucking crowbar. I'm going to get through here one way or the other. And she's just going to do it. And I love that when you take a character and you, you give them a sense of self and a sense of, you know, I understand who I am, but I understand that I probably have more to know about the world. But that never stops them from just being a forward-thinking killing machine. I love that. Mm-hmm. And if, with her character especially, I mean, as this movie goes on, if you don't slowly fall in love with Mouse and you don't slow, like you want, you want to be behind her carrying a crowbar and just swinging at the next thing that pops out just to help her out a little bit. And it to watch a movie like this and to want to be one of her vigilantes is something pretty unique. And I, I go back to Sin City. It gave me a lot of the th- same things that I got out of Sin City where by the end of this, I wanted to be a vigilante. I wanted to take the bad guy down, you know, to be a part of it. And there's a lot of movies that try to do this. And this is one of the places where this movie really succeeded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Ugly, uh, you know, reveals to Mouse that, you know, he doesn't come from money, but, you know, he was uh, really just kind of, like, kicked to the curb and uh, really never wished to return in this case. Uh, And, you know, because Mouse has a pretty big disdain for the upper uh, class of society, uh, you know, Ugly never had told her about it before. So when they go to Ugly's place... Uh, you know, we, we get to meet Ugly's really terrible adoptive mother. Uh, you know, we're basically trying to get the information of the judge. Uh, all the meanwhile, there is a lot of destruction within the household. A lot of, uh, breaking of, you know, expensive shit, you know, vases getting thrown against the wall. And of course, you know, the mom is just ready to call the cops on them. It's like, yep, that's not going to stop us. We are going to destroy all your shit in here, and uh, really nothing you can do to stop 
us from that. But of course, Ugly does get uh, the address for the judge. Uh, and, you know, Crawdaddy, you know, turns out to be a man of his word after all. Uh, as he gives Mouse and Ugly the name of this high-end hotel called the Sophia. Where uh, all of the terrible things are going on. And uh, you have the ring leader, or, you know, the the woman be behind the curtain in this, uh, who is our big bad of the movie, the dame. Uh, and, of course, you know, while all of this investigation uh, investigating is going on, we have another girl from the club who gets kidnapped right outside. Uh, that, of course, being Riz. And, uh, which is... <sighs> You know, we, we, we had our inklings about, like, who could be doing this because, like, early on we do see, like, this uh, this bald, sinister-looking guy who is very, like, well-dressed for, you know, this type of environment who seems to be, you know, just keeping tabs on who's working. Uh, maybe, you know, I am the talent, for lack of better terms. Uh, but obviously he's casing the place uh, for future dealings. Trying to figure out where to go from here. So the hotel, I think. I think the hotel is the place where we could have had our, as we discussed earlier, our very yucky scene. Mm -hmm. um, and enough of what happens in the hotel is kind of as it is. Um, but then between between Riz being kidnapped and then a doe eyes and then, you know, and once Mouse is in there and understanding what's actually happening here and this is again uh one of the points where i think our, our our main heroine they could have given an opportunity for her to just you know just break down and cry just i can't believe this is happening and <clears throat> there's definitely some times where you can see that i think both her emotions and her patience are being tested by what she sees um at the same time, though, the one thing I don't think that ever dwindles is her resolve. Um, and with a movie like this, I, I'll be honest, I think that's kind of a rare thing because especially, you know, getting closer to the end of this movie and you and you get that moment where it's like, OK, here it goes. The resolve comes crashing down. The cops are coming, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this is where she's finally going to fold. And it's like. Nope, <laughs> there's there's no folding in her. And uh, again, it just makes her that much more of. Likeable isn't the word um, followable. She's a followable character. I want to get behind her. I want to fight for what she's fighting for. And it's any movies where you have this dichotomy. It doesn't it doesn't matter if it's rich or poor, zombies or humans, whatever else The the, the goal is ultimately to keep you sort of balancing yourself from side to side and what's right and what's wrong. And in this movie with her character, you say steadfastly on her side the whole time. You never waver. Um, but you never waver with a character who has obvious flaws, who is trying to do things that don't always succeed, and she acknowledges that they don't, um, has uh, a sexual freedom and a a sexual freedom slash naivete about what she does and why she does it, but a lot of her doesn't really care, which is honestly kind of even better. Um, but 
I think this is one of the rare times in her existence where she sort of has a goal, right? And, but her goal is not, it isn't money. It isn't to get a good nine to five job. It isn't to get a great education, whatever else. It's to save her friends um, and to figure out what's going on. And I mean, it, moral compass wise, if there was ever a, a more pure goal, I don't know what would be, you know? And ultimately saving her friends from being trafficked and being used. Um, and that's, you know, as a as a human being to a fellow human being, there's not really anything that's worse. And to what you said earlier, we know that this kind of thing goes on every day in cities somewhere. It's this is happening to young ladies. And it's one of those things that when you come to that realization that, yes, this actually does happen every day, it kind of makes you want to barf like that. Our society is this fucking bad. Um, but, you know, it, it's also nice to step away from the logic of the world and watch a movie and see somebody who's going to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So after we uh, have this uh, bold guy, uh, you know, just checking people out inside the club, like that's not our only interaction with him. Uh, at one point, you know, Mouse does kind of like get creeped out by his presence uh, and asks Sweets to, you know, throw the guy out of the club. Uh, you know, but Sweets, when he goes to, you know, talk to this guy, you know, we actually whips out a wad of cash to basically, like, shut him up. Uh, and then our next interaction uh, with this with with this scout, uh, you know, she, she notices the guy again while working in the club one day. This is when she's uh, getting paddled, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, this time, she tries to go after him, uh, and, you know, the guy flees the scene. But, you know, we do kind of, like, have our chase scene. Uh, in this, and it, you know, it kind of like switches from like live action to like comic book stills in this, and uh, you know, the guy does come at her with the weapon, and you know, Mouse not really able to like fully defend herself uh at, at this point in time. She does get like saved by you know like one of the I think it's like a shop owner or a restaurant owner uh in this case who has a rifle uh to you know fend the guy off, but like. It's interesting because, like, obviously, like, she sees a guy. She's trying to alert everyone of, like, what's going on. But she can't really do anything about it because, uh, you know, she's a little tied up in this particular uh, scene. But this really <laughs> leads into uh, the bigger picture, which is the Sophia Hotel. Uh, and Mouse and Ugly are starting their stakeout process of the hotel from outside to, you know, try to find anything that's, uh, you know, suspicious that would help them find Doe-Wise. Uh, but, you know, early on really doesn't do them much good uh, until they're like, hey, you come from a rich family. Why don't you go inside? So Ugly ends up being our main recon inside of the hotel. Uh, both because of his social status, but also because of his appearance, uh, really nobody is going to suspect him. Uh, and this is when he comes across this uh, older gentleman, uh, you know, who, uh, he's a blue pillar, <laughs> uh, in this case. Uh, I mean, how else are you going to say it? You know, he's uh, he's having some issues. You know, he's, he's getting up there. It's understandable. Uh, and... He seems very enthusiastic uh, about the parties being held at the hotel. And of course, in case you guys haven't told, 
can't tell, uh, you know, because we are dealing with trafficking. Of course, we're talking about the crazy sex parties that happen at this hotel with the elite and the girls who who are being, uh, you know, kidnapped off the streets, run the clubs, wherever they may be getting them. But of course, it's a lot of, uh, you know, the people who won't be missed or deal, really. You know, they're always in the shady spots of the town. But, uh, you know, I... I just love early on where it's like, okay, you know, what is the first interaction actually going to be at this hotel? Because, like, we know this is the the centerpiece of the story. This is where everything is going down. Uh, we we don't know to what degree or or how the operation works or, or like, what the big picture is. But, obviously, like, we know what the end goal is at, at the end of this. And the, the interaction between, like, this old gentleman... And ugly, you know, it's it's creepy, but it's not like so over the top that it makes you feel like super uncomfortable. But I just find it funny that, you know, you have a character who only drinks water, you know, sitting at the bar, you know, <laughs> it's like it's kind of harder for you to get the information in this particular scene if you're not really like partaken along with the gentleman here. So it, it it's not really enticing him as much as uh, what it may may do otherwise you know just drinking water when he you know you have like high-end spirits you know just behind the counter here well there's a dichotomy i think in let's call it the rich and you mm -hmm. have the young rich and the old rich i think and hey i i'm i'm a fan of a sex party as much as the next guy i'm sure you are too um and i would probably expect it to be pretty expensive, but at the same time, I would also expect it to be consensual, right? So I think this talks about and tugs on the strings of we have wealthy people, but wealthy older people. And I think that's the piece that Ugly is confused about. Like he walks in here and he doesn't necessarily understand that, like you said, there's probably a lot of blue pillars here that it makes sense to sit at the bar and drink water so when the time comes you can get the flag up past half staff if you know what i mean <laughs> um but i think that's probably not his scene normally right he's mm. he's used to being young and you can drink all night and you know still uh fire the old uh, icbm if you know what i mean so i think it's a different world but at the same time with all these i the scene itself i don't think is any different than Things we've seen recently, we'll, we'll use Fresh as an example, where you have the ultra-rich wanting things that they can't normally have. Um, now, I don't think for the ultra-rich, even if you were old, I don't think that a sex party is that out of reach. I think a sex party where you can beat somebody and do whatever you want, and if they die, nobody cares, that's probably a little more out of reach and probably costs a little more money and probably takes two blue pills instead of one. Um so I think that's kind of what they're trying to show as a dichotomy here is this is just not necessarily like a sex party, but to what you said, people that won't be missed. So if they disappear or something bad happens, somebody, and it goes along with the cost of the whole thing, somebody will clean it up and it will just disappear. Mm -hmm. So after this encounter, um, you know, you, you have... 
Uh, you you have Ugly, who's, like, trying to, like, follow the guy to see, like, okay, where is he going? He ends up going upstairs. Uh, and then Ugly is just being, like, kind of, like, pressured by some of the hotel workers to, uh, go wait in the lobby. You know, if he's, uh, waiting for someone. Even though he, he, he kind of is. <laughs> you know, as, as, you know, we, we had mentioned, uh, you know, during Twisted Tuesday, which I thought was pretty funny. But, but regardless, with the information that they had at this time, uh, Mouse is just like, well, what, what are we gonna do from here? There's not really anything I can do at this point. And then she has, you know, that light bulb moment where she's like, you know what? I know what we need to do, or what I need to do in this case. I need to, uh, dress myself up or down, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, and I'm gonna make myself more susceptible to be in the bait and getting taken by the guy in the suits who were in the lawn stretch limos. Well, but that's her thing. And that's been her thing through this entire movie though, is that she is, she is willing to do what others won't to get to the bottom of what's happening. And that's what makes her character as pliable as mm -hmm. she has been throughout the entire movie. Um, but also, you know, back to just being a normal person and being tormented by the egregious grind that life is, no matter what side of the fence you are, it doesn't matter whether you're on this side of the tracks or the other side of the grass or the other side of the tracks. Ultimately, it's a grind for all of us. But she is she is so able, her care to to tiptoe back and forth over that line. But then once she's over the line, she's in. Mm. Where most of us would tiptoe over the line, and then if the if the moment called for it, fall to the ground and suck on our thumb while we're curled into a little ball, right? So, and she doesn't do that, but that's part of her character's power, is that, I mean, she blends in as one of these sort of elite people, or at least food for the elite, let's call it that. Mm -hmm. um, but all while having all of her faculties and all while having this like plan and she knows what she's going to do. Um, but that's what makes her character so much goddamn fun is that it's, I mean, she's, she's every badass action star we've ever seen in the history of ever, but they were all male and she's doing it for the most part better than a lot of them did, mm -hmm. you know? And that's what makes her so fun to watch is that she has a, she has a willingness to sacrifice herself I mean, and truly, truly observe what her version of the greater good is. And the greater good is saving her friends. It isn't being rich. It's not being a millionaire. It's saving her friends. That's all she cares about is saving her friends. Beyond that, the rest of it's just fucking noise. And when you see these other, any other action movie where you got, I mean, there's always about saving somebody, but there's always about saving your image and coming out looking good and being the hero and doing all that. And she doesn't give a shit about any of that. She is like, I want to get my friends, get out of here. But then there becomes this part of her. She's like, well, you know what? I'm here. So why don't I work to take this shit down and like burn it to the ground? And that's when she just gets, I mean, she effectively turns into a God sort of, and she's just like, I'm going to do this. And Ultimately, this is probably the, the coolest part about her. I'm going to do it and consequences be damned mm -hmm. because there's definitely a part where 
that the rest of us, let's say the rest of us had the stones to do something like this, and the rest of us don't. We all know. <laughs> but, and it's like, hey, the cops are coming, and all this is going to happen, and it was like, there's a, there's a point where you surrender, mm-hmm. right? And you understand that what's going to happen next is going to happen next, and it's like, nope, she's still writing the story, and she's going to write the some bitch all the way to the end. Yep, well, uh, her comic book does need an ending. Mm-hmm. So got gotta see it through. Uh, and in order to do that, she approaches Crawdaddy for help uh, in regards to uh, having her exchange for money uh, that, you know, Crawdaddy would receive from the Dames organization for delivering them uh, some, you know, new uh, new clientele, uh, in this case being a mouse. Uh, unfortunately, though, you know, Crawdaddy fails to make a deal with the Dames organization and that really, you know, leaves Mouse kind of, like, feeling dejected, and this is when they get a call from Eddie uh, that Riz has been found dead behind the club, uh, and, you know, when they get to the, the location, that's when we see Kelly, uh, who is our scapegoat, the one who was constantly getting kicked out of the club every day because, uh, you know, he was pestering Riz time and time again, basically every single day, bringing her flowers, just being a general nuisance. Uh, in this case, but, you know, he's our fall guy in this case, and we see him basically pleading and screaming as the police are escorting him into the back of the cop car. Uh, but of course, you know, sure, the guy's a creep, but, you know, he's being framed by the dame and her organization, uh, and then this is really when Mouse has kind of like her, her breaking point, where, like, it really pushes her over the edge, where, like, she gets fully... Like, she fully steps into the shit, for lack of better phrasing. Because uh, at this point, like, she doesn't want to risk losing anyone else. Uh, and this is also kind of, like, at the same point where her comic book uh, really starts to take off because, like, her latest comic books are uh, being based off of the recent events of her own life. And they are just flying off the shelves. Uh, but, you know, it's... It's one of those things, too, where it's, like, there's a lot of pain involved in that because, like, we even do see, like, some of her tears getting dropped onto the comic book paper, like, as she's drawing, uh, you know, some of the more, like, heinous aspects of uh, the events in this case. Well, that's the hardest part of the whole thing. Is that for her to finish her comic book, ultimately more of her friends have to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where she finally starts tying her creative her creative self and her creative world to what's actually going on around her because i you know they say that you know any author or a photographer or artist or whatever else they write paint draw whatever else what they see right that's what they do mm-hmm. um and that i think was the first moment where she as hard as she was fighting to help save these people, there was a small piece of her that was also sort of trivial, trivializing it for her sort of greater goal. And I think that was the moment where she felt she felt very much like an elitist. And she was like, wait, wait, wait. I'm one of them now, and I don't want to be one of them. So I need to sort of reevaluate what I'm doing here. And as much as I'm you know, I might want to finish this story. There's a greater story to be told, and that's the people and their lives. And and how do I how do I get them out of this? Um, you know, and 
The scapegoating of Kelly was one of the few moments in the movie where it felt like paint by numbers story. Mm. Like I, I was just like, oh, really, really? Like I mean, you guys have been so, like, so surreal noir up to this point, and then you do this. It felt honestly, it felt lazy to me. Um, it just was. It was literally one of the points as a movie watcher where I was just like, great, this is what. Okay, sure. And I suppose if you're honest, you could probably see it coming just about from the beginning. It kind of made sense. But I was just hoping they wouldn't fill in the blank on that one. Um, you know, but then, uh, you know, with, with Mouse and her, all these uh, kind of epiphanies she's having about herself, about her lifestyle, about her comic book, um, and all the things that she has been doing and having to sort of reformulate. But at the same time, the reformulation leads to yeah, I was a, I, w- I was in a battle before, and now I'm truly going to war. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 kind of almost a sight to behold watching her character make that transition from a fighter to a general, and she's like, okay, now here it comes. Yep, and of course, you know, you end up, uh, you know, sticking your nose where it doesn't belong. Sooner rather than later, it is going to catch up to you when it's not long before Mouse ends up falling uh, victim to, you know, the kidnapping and getting, you know, the bag place over her head and being brought back to the hotel. Uh, so we see her uh, waking up in this hotel room with a note which is written from the dame herself. Uh, basically saying that Mouse is now owned by them, and she has to do whatever she is told. And of course, you know, they do equip her with, uh, you know, some new lingerie. This is kind of like when we have our uh, collar and uh, lineup slash roll call situation going on uh, at the Sophia Hotel as well. And, of course, you know, inside the hotel, it is really exactly what you would expect uh, with all of these parties going on. We have our mask-wearing rich men who have uh, all gathered to fulfill their sadistic fantasies uh, just because, you know, they have the money and the power and they simply just can. Uh, So Mouse follows the instructions and on her way to, uh, you know, the center uh, ballroom, uh, we have these uh, elitists who are bidding on the girls, uh, you know, to, you know, fulfill whatever desires that they may have. And then this is when we uh, see Doe Eyes, who is still alive at this case. But obviously she is visibly distressed from everything that has been going on. Uh, so... Obviously, in order to put yourself in this peril, you know, you kind of like have to have a plan outside of just like, all right, let me just get caught by the bad guys. And of course, you know, we do have some help uh, from within the hotel during this auction process. And, uh, you know, it is a silent auction, which is another interesting aspect of this. You know, we have our uh, bidders all bidding with red cards. And, you know, there's a little like back and forth here, and then it seems like uh, there are two tiers of this, because we do also have a gold card, which seems to be the ultimate trump card in all of this to, you know, secure the winning bid, but how much these, uh, how much the women are going for, we have no idea, but obviously it's going to be a lot of money for, for something like this, 
uh, you know, just because of the status of the people who are involved in this. Uh, but but the general idea was to have Mooney buy in both Doe-Eyes and Mouse, but the problem is he only had enough to buy one of them, and of course he chose Mouse uh, over Doe-Eyes in this case. Well, yeah, he's got a little bit of a sweet spot, so I mean, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, the bidding in there and the the imagery in which they show the bidding with the, the snapping of the cards mm -hmm. um, was really awesome. I mean, it, as much as I understand that I'm watching human trafficking take place, and I don't really like that, overall it has really cool imagery. And it's not... It's not one of those things where I, it's... They're basically showing you an auction, but at the same time... It seems like they kept it very quiet on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really profound because I think of an auction, I think of, you know, and going for 100, 100, 100, 100, 200, 200, 300, 400, 400. Like, and it's like, it's none of that. It's just, it's just like this, everyone's sitting there and somebody points and somebody goes and snaps that card. And then somebody else snaps a card and the guy points. And it was so... The silence was visceral, if that makes any sense. The silence was something that was really like, it, it almost like there was no, I, I think of an auction and I think of the contest that an auction represents and the vocalness of that is always a part of it. And taking that away from that, it, it, it changed it into something that like, I, I was like having trouble making my brain process where it was just point, point, snap, snap, snap with the cards. And it made it feel very elitist on one hand and very subhuman on the other. Mm -hmm. And that was an odd mixture of feelings to feel throughout this. And this is all understanding that they're buying a human being. Right. You know, so it's like, I... I <laughs> it, probably for me the creepiest I felt in this entire movie where it just, it felt like it should be louder. It should be crazier. There should be more emotion. And there was next to none. It was like people buying a rare Mercedes at a car auction where it was just holding up a paddle, holding up a paddle. And you have so much money and you're that you could be in this place. And ultimately you could buy whatever you want. And it's just a matter of, deciding when to quit versus having run out of money you know unlike mooney who ran out of money you know so they take that that visual this auction and they bring it to a place that it's just fucking creepy man just creepy yeah, and because of this uh and mooney's help uh this leads into our rescue of doe eyes uh and of course you know we do have mouse killing a couple of uh, the workers of the day before making the grand escape. And, you know, it seems like, all right, we got we got you cornered, you know, like, haha, what are you going to do now? And then Mouse just takes a crowbar, breaks the window. And uh, I'm not going to say we have our superhero landed because they don't really do that. Like, it's kind of like hard to judge, like, how much of a fall there actually was in this case. But I, it's just a great scene. You know, we have our getaway car because uh, Ugly's parked, like, right outside. Uh, which is, just, you know, another key aspect of this plan. But it's one of those, it's like early on, it's like, okay, you use yourself as bait. We got Doe-Eyes. 
we have our moment when we can have our kind of like sigh of relief, even if it's just for a moment, because like, obviously we know it's going to escalate at this point in time, because it's like, surely the organization isn't just going to let you get away and uh, live to tell the tale about it. So, you know, we, we know, you know, there's darkness still lurking around the corner uh, in this case. So we are expecting some sort of act of retaliation. Uh, and, uh, you know, sure enough, that does eventually come. Uh, and, you know, and and when it does, you know, it everything just starts to fall into place. And then this is really when Mouse wants to take it upon herself to avenge the death of Riz and find out more about who the dame is. Uh, and, you know, she gets this opportunity where uh, she gets taken from her house and finds herself right in front of the dame herself. Uh, and we have Mooney, who... Uh, fresh corpse in the, in this scene. Uh, which means that, uh, you know, only proves that there was, you know, some good in the drug dealer after all, because, like, he was the one who helped her. And, you know, obviously the dame knows that, because, obviously, like, if you're running this sort of organization, you probably know everything that's going on in the... Uh, in this building, but it's one of those scenes where, like, during this particular scene, with the interaction between Mouse and the Dame, the Dame is playing the role of uh, trying to convey her feelings towards Mouse in regards to the fact that while they may walk different uh, ways of life, there are a lot of parallels between their uh, character in this. And I said. Yep. To be honest, I said that earlier. I mm -hmm. think <clears throat> ultimately it goes back to that uh, it doesn't really matter who you are or what you do for a living or what time that you wake up. Um, a lot of people are fundamentally the same. Now, it's very easy to understand why somebody that has no money would begrudge somebody that has a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Now, are there a multitude of reasons for that? Absolutely. There's a multitude of reasons for it. Um, the thing that I know about my life and the people that I've known and people I've interacted at is if you say to your friend, hey, I was able to do this thing, and your friend says, oh, must be rough. Well, you know what? Those are the people that don't want to work hard for anything. That's been my experience. They don't understand that even people that are super wealthy have likely sacrificed to get where they are. Now, did they sacrifice a place to live and food in a car? No, but they sacrificed something else, probably. Um, and I think that's a dichotomy that our society is probably never going to find a way to get the two sides to just sit down and have a sandwich together and talk it out. I don't think we're ever going to get there. Um, just because the animus has grown so big and the, the, the chasm has grown so large that I don't think people are ever going to do that. Um, but again, with our character Mouse, I think that is a piece of her where I don't think she's even thinking that anymore. I think she is in a place where she is based her instinct. You hurt my friends. And you hurt them because of who they are 
and because you thought you could. And now I'm here to fuck you up. And that, to be perfectly honest, is probably one of the purest emotions a person can feel. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it is equilibrium. It is balance. Um, And let's face it, we live in a society where the rich have taken from the poor for since the first caveman discovered fire and didn't want to share it. Okay. That's, that's just who we are as a people. Um, but there's also a point where there's being taken advantage of, and then there's just the way society is. And the people in this story are being taken advantage of because of who they are. And there needs to be some penance paid. And for all we've talked about Mouse and what an incredible character she is, there was this piece of me that thought for a minute this movie was going to rob me of... It was going to take it away from me. It was going to have her stop just short of the penance. And to be honest, I'm so fucking glad it didn't because <laughs> it it was so worth it and it was it was so that moment and we've all had it we have all had that moment where we wanted to punch our boss or uh you know give our neighbor the middle finger or to you know instead of let somebody in traffic just give them a pit maneuver and send them into the fucking into the the ditch you know and she gives us that moment and it's so fulfilling (laughs) Yeah, so during this interaction uh, between the dame and Mouse, uh, the dame proposes to make a deal with her. Mouse wouldn't do anything that would harm the organization and the business that they do, and in return, she would be able to leave town with Ugly. And of course, failing to do so would mean that, you know, the game is going to make sure that uh, Ugly is tortured, killed, uh, and Mouse is going to basically get the front row seat to see all of that happen. Uh, so the dame gives Mouse the day to basically make her decision and lets her go. Uh, and, uh, you know, before leaving, she does reveal, uh, she doesn't, like, blatantly say who, it, who like, led her to the club, but she basically does the, I, I think you know who who it was. Oh, she tiptoes mm-hmm. her right up to it. She it, does. And, but I think that's the, that's the other piece of the, the societal norm slash expectation that we all think, or we all, we all love to hope mm-hmm. that the person, the person above us has our best interests in mind. But at the same time, that person above us still wakes up to the same existential crisis and the same shitty cup of coffee that we do and wants more. So I understand that Mouse is completely <laughs> aghast that Mama is basically the one who has been feeding people into this meat grinder. Um, but at the same time, I mean, uh, this is one of those things that I always struggle with with people, and it's like, how did you not know? Mm-hmm. Like, how did you not see it coming? Because um, for me, I saw it coming a mile away. And whether the movie did a good job or a poor job, it's it's not it's it's not something that I care to even discuss. But again, having to 
be put in that place where it's like, okay, I have some decisions to make, and I, <laughs> I sort of think that every single person is put to a very similar decision every single day, albeit maybe on a smaller scale, and all too often we can't actually make the decision we want to make because we understand the impact that it would have down the road, and as I said earlier, I am so glad, <laughs> so glad Mouse uh, rolled the dice and didn't get Snake Eyes here because the payoff is so worth it. Absolutely. So Mouse ends up going back to the club to confront Mama uh, about what she's been doing. And of course, uh, she's coming with a loaded gun uh, in this case. Uh, Mama ends up breaking down, confess confesses that you know she has been feeding the girls to uh the dame and organization basically saying you know that the club's been going under you know she needed to do something to ensure that the other girls don't end up on the street uh and she had selected doe eyes because she was using and it was already too late for her she was already long gone at this point uh because of the drug abuse uh, it turns out Riz was not her choice. Uh, that was more of the dame, you know, forcing her to do that. Uh, but upon hearing this, you know, Mouse is left with no other choice but to pull the trigger and, uh, blow Mama's head off in this case. And, you know, we, we have our great blood splatter, uh, shot, which, uh, is always a thumbs up for me in this case, the way that that was, uh, shot, especially with, like, the, the checkerboard background. Uh, of the stage looked really nice uh, in this case, but the 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 real kicker here is just the fact that okay, it's like where do we go from here? And it's like, well, you let me walk, you're giving me decision, and you think I'm just going to take uh, the high road <laughs> and move on to like right off into the sunset. And you know, have my have my happy ever after. No, that's that is not the fairy tale world that we live in. No, we we are going back, and we are entering the shit one last time. And this is when we have like our feather in the cap moments, like the the only fitting way that you could possibly end this movie. <laughs> and it's 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 that level of you let me go, and because you did that, like. That was such an arrogant move to think that, like, I'm not strong enough to just come right in and cut the head off of the snake. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing, though. And that's the. It, there's a few other movies I can think of that did this, but I don't think there's any number that did it as well as this. And, and you said it, it's arrogance that I have so much power that I can just let you go. And at any moment, I can just have you snuffed out and it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So because I'm so great and so powerful, I'm giving you this time to make this decision. And, and, and while it does reek of arrogance, at the same time, it also reeks of a little bit of, call it nervousness. Call it, they've encountered somebody who maybe could upset the apple cart. Mm -hmm. And nobody likes that. Um, and... When it comes to Mama, I mean, Mama tries so hard to cover her misdeeds with altruism that 
like, I mean, it's ridiculous how heavy she pours it on, but it's like, I have all these other girls and I had to take care of them. And it's like, and it's like, she was using, and it's like, okay, so your solution to the world is that we just pile all the drug addicts into a pit and cover them over and we're just good. I mean, that's not, you know, I mean, yeah, give everybody a chance. And in two years time, if you're still using, sure. Then, then, then scoop the dirt in. I'm fine with that. But you got to give people a chance, right? People have to have a chance to overcome their demons. And in this scenario, if you have even the smallest demon, the smallest gremlin, you're basically cannon fodder for this for this larger group, you know, the, the group at the Sophia Hotel. And it's like, I mean, it, as much as I think there's probably some common sense to that, at the same time, I go back to this place where there's a general level of fairness, okay? And throughout my life, throughout your life, there's always a point where you've hit a low spot and then it's like you dig your way out, right? Mm -hmm. And that, because that's just, I think that's just human nature. That's human life. It happens to all of us. We're not all, you know, silver spoon fed assholes that just, if we get into a, a spot of trouble, mommy and daddy cover it up and we just move on to the next problematic thing. We have to, we have to pull up our bootstraps and we got to dig our way out. But when you encounter a scenario where you're not even given the opportunity to do that, I mean, that's shit, man. That's just garbage. And I, I, I think Mouse proves that, you know what, it's, you know, I don't think she wants to be, you know, the green acres of, of uh, addict recovery or anything like that. She doesn't want to start a self-help group, but she wants to level the playing field. And goddamn, does she do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we also have the moment when uh, Ugly ends up coming inside and, you know, Mouse basically asks him to, you know, get away. Uh, we're, she's basically, like, trying to convince him to, like, catch a train at night. Uh, and, you know, we do have our moment when she does kind of, like, confess her feelings towards Ugly. Uh, which, you know, you kind of, like, had that moment after, like, it was, like, so like, one-sided at the start of this, and Ugly basically tells Mouse, like, you know, I am, we're either going to leave together on this train, or I'm going to stay here with you, and, you know, we're, we are going to see this through the end, regardless of what that could mean for uh, the two of them, but Mouse does manage to convince Ugly to take the train, uh, but of course, you know, she does stay behind, in order to go confront the dame one last time at the Sophia Hotel. You know, it's just that that feeling of that dread that uh, she's feeling inside being just too much for her to let go. And, uh, you know, dealing with all the trauma that she suffered, uh, you know, she she has to see this through. Like, her story needs that ending. Uh, so there's only, there's only one way out of this. You know, we are going back to... Uh, the den of this hotel to confront the dame. And of course, you know, Mouse just comes in with a loaded gun, smoking a cigarette, <laughs> pulls the trigger. You know, there's a huge crowd of people of, you know, the high society in this case. And you see the blood getting smeared on her face while she's just like coolly just standing there soaking it all in and it just it fixates on her face as a blood splatters too which just adds an extra uh touch on top of that and it's just like that is such like a perfect note to like end this movie on it's just like man like that is exactly what i wanted to get out of this so like I i'm glad you know regardless of like how we got to this nation and like surely th they could have shown more 
But in this case, like, I'm so glad that instead of just, like, showing the ugliest sides of, you know, the, the subject matter that they're dealing with here, they, they did it into... They made the story more digestible with the, the approach that they took. And, you know, they, they gave us our... Our very satisfying end to all of this by getting the head of the operation. But, of course, like, we all know, like, the organization is going to live on. But, you know, it doesn't mean you can't go over and turn over a couple of rocks, you know. Well, it's like it, it, it's like cutting the head off of Cerberus, right? <laughs> it still has two more. Uh, the thing that I loved about her entrance into this and you know her quote-unquote show of force is i love the fact that they gave her a revolver and not a semi-automatic pistol mm -hmm. and this is gonna sound stupid but this is what i like about it so anybody who is even remotely knowledgeable about firearms knows that your average revolver depending on its size will hold either five or six rounds that's just pretty much how it is um and they gave her a very sort of dirty hairy-esque firearm too which is kind of fun um, they didn't give her a semi-auto because a semi-auto in this day and age could hold anywhere from seven to like 22 rounds, right? Depending on what it is. And so they put her in this place where she had a very powerful weapon, but it also had a limited capacity. So it seemed like she was very cognizant of how she was using it. And I enjoyed that fact. I enjoyed watching the pit guys go down because those pit guys needed to fucking die. They just did. Um, but the bullet to the head of the dame. I mean, I literally watching this movie just went like, yes. Like I was like happy, like, oh, and I just, it, and it was, but it was, it was the buildup I was waiting for, but it was also the one that I didn't think that they would give me. I thought that they would hold back somehow. Um, and they didn't really give you anything here that said, well, okay, you killed you killed one dog in the fight, but the, you know, the cabal is going to come back and they're going to be after. I mean, it was the closest thing I think akin to a happy ending that this movie could give you, mm -hmm. um, you know, short of a couple of her friends being dead. She had to kill her boss. You know, I mean, it, it's uh, the one guy that she boned ended up dying. I mean, so there was a lot of things that were. And I think this is going to be and I know some friends of mine. Travis, Ricky, Trevor are going to laugh at this. But the metaphor for life where, yeah, there were some bad things that happened. But I still push myself forward and I can still get out of this and I can still have a good life and go on to good things where it's like, yeah, sometimes you want to make an omelet, man. You got to break a couple of eggs. It's just the way that it works. Um, but there was like a path forward and a path that was going to be a little more sunny and a little more clear. You know, even if she decided she was going to stay doing what she was doing, she was going to stay being, a, you know, a, a burlesque dancer, that was fine. But a lot of the bumps in the road um, that were the dame and mama and mama running basically a meat grinder club, you know, were sort of out of her way. So from here, like the choices were hers and she could do whatever she wanted with that. It was kind of almost like a clean slate. And I kind of dug that, you know. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it does leave us with a couple of questions like, all right, well, uh, would the organization just let Mouse leave, you know, in, in this moment? Or, 
You know, like, it, or they just go to wait a bit, recollect themselves, and then go after her. I, like, obviously, like, I can't imagine that they would just, like, sit idly by, <laughs> you know, and just let her, let her move on. So, like, we really don't know, like, what happens to Mouse at, at the grand scheme of things, but at least we know for sure, like, after killing the dame, you know, we have that... That, that moment where she has finally found herself at peace. You know, she she got her redemption by taking out the head of the organization. And, uh, yep, where we go from here, we don't know. But, uh, you know, we at least got the head. We got rid of some of the henchmen, you know, in the pursuit to kind of like... You know, I would say it's more balanced in the scales, even though, uh, you know, we still end up losing uh, Mooney in the process in regards to all of this, too. Uh, so I, I want to say she only t took out a couple, you know, well, in, in had, the initial she had, scuffle. She had a revolver, so she had she had six shots. That's mm -hmm. what she had. Um, she used, I think, most of them wisely. Um, you know, as far as the dame goes and then the person above her it's funny because so i have been in the corporate world long enough that i think that the dame represents so you know i i work for a very large corporation a very large publicly traded corporation and it's very believable that the person above the person i work for has no idea who i am it's very, very believable. Mm -hmm. So to know to know that, yeah, some trouble was caused. Somebody got. I look at this as akin to somebody somebody quit or got fired, and you know there's been a little bit of a dust up. There's a little bit of turmoil. But the thing that I I believe in my heart is ultimately the corporation will go on. So I think she made her mark in this very very small way, and she's happy about it. In the end. I don't think she's changed anything. Mm -hmm. And that's the sad part. Yep. Just a, uh, a cog in the wheel. It's going to keep spinning. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yep. All right. So, uh, again, uh, if you guys haven't checked this one out, it is streaming on Hulu. And uh, have, also available to buy, of course. You have once again made a movie better than I thought it was. So... You are. You should be in marketing or something. You really should, because you're you're good at doing that. I it. It's always a discussion. It's always a discussion that mm -hmm. elevates it. So maybe everybody should. Every single person on the earth should start a podcast and talk about movies with your friends, because it will make every movie better. And then pretty soon, <laughs> pretty soon, everything that Marvel makes will be a ten. <laughs> mm, I don't know Probably about that. Not, one. But, yeah. <laughs> hey, there's a new Aquaman coming out. I can't wait for that. Like I can't wait for my next proctology appointment <laughs> yeah you know like there's there's a reason why i went to go see you know the the abyss and uh die hard this past week <laughs> over seeing anything new uh, uh well, good times but uh look looking ahead though uh i know uh next week you would pick birth rebirth Yes. Which yes, is uh, streaming on Shudder, if you guys haven't seen that one. Uh, that will be what we'll be watching on Twisted Tuesday this week. And uh, very intriguing film. Like, I, I, I'll be honest, I still did not put a score on it because I, I want to rewatch it to see how, how I feel after a second viewing of it. But um, 
Well, and I haven't watched it again because I want to see how I feel after a second viewing of it. So okay. it might it might fall off the earth. You never know. I want to, but I remember part of the Minneapolis Film Festival walking out of that one and just being like, "Wow!" And then probably two hours of conversation with the wife afterward. This, what did that mean? Why did this person do that? What? So it. it I think you're probably very similar to me when it comes to the really good movies, and especially if you go see them with like a friend or something like that. If you walk out and you're talking about it, yep. and you sort and you keep talking, it's like it was something special. And so, at the time, and I want to say it was probably March or April that I saw this, it was something special. Now, if I watch it again, is it going to hold up? I don't know, but I've seen it on Shutter, and I've just been like, nope, nope, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I want to see. Honestly, I want to see what the Twisted crew thinks of it. Um, but I want to because I'll watch it for Twisted and then I'll watch it again mm-hmm. Wednesday afternoon just to make sure I'm kind of pure. And, you know, I've had my salt bath so I know that <laughs> I have no contagions and I can't possibly spoil it. Um, but that was one that stuck with me. So I'm, I'm glad we're going to check it out. Yep. So uh Really, the only thing I'll, I'll mention about it is it is kind of like a, a Frankenstein tale for the modern era. Uh, done in a slightly different way, but uh, yeah. it was a, a very intriguing watch. I'm looking forward to the second watch uh, to see where both of us fall on it. Uh, but but yeah, like, you know, just scrolling through like the shutter reviews, a lot of, a lot of positive comments uh about it's uh you know runtime isn't too lengthy either it's only 99 minutes so that's always good too so hopefully it'll uh be able to keep everyone's attention uh but yeah looking forward to it we'll be watching it on tuesday for twisted tuesday at 7 30 p.m pacific time uh and then you know we still got two more lined up to cap off 2023 and uh I, I will say this, but my second pick also has to do with sex work. Imagine that. Like, who would who would think that my two movies would have a common theme between them? But uh, here we are. I would never think that. I don't <laughs> at all. Well, okay, so what? You got just you got to tell me now, so I can brace myself. <laughs> well, my my second pick is Candyland, which came out ah, uh, early, okay. early in the year. Okay. You know what? I don't think. I don't think I have a second pick yet. I'm going to have to go through my list and whittle it down a little bit. Because, I mean, honestly, No One Will Save You would be up there, but we've already talked about that. <laughs> right. um, so I don't want to talk about it again. Um, there's a couple other ones in there. Have you, did you watch Leave the World Behind yet? No. So, it Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, um star-studded cast really cool premise overall really fantastic and then the shittiest ending in the history of ever for a movie the shittiest end i mean like the worst like a prom night and a, a slasher caught up to you and cut your penis off would be a better ending than this movie had for an end. I could not believe it, how bad the ending was. Um, so watch it and let me know what you think. But I was, I, I couldn't believe it. This movie was so hyped. And then I got to, it got to the end and I was like, one of those rare movies where we get to the end and you're like, 
really? That's it? <laughs> like that? Like that's it? That's where you're stopping? And they... St- <clears throat> yeah. Um, the first 99% of the movie is really good. It's really, really good. That... <laughs> That little bit at the end. Oh my god. Um, okay, so I gotta I gotta focus my shit here and I gotta pick one more. Um so birth, rebirth, candyland, and then whatever nightmare I pick. Maybe I should pick something weird and obscure and just <laughs> <laughs> make you earn your money that you're earning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all that all that money that's getting raked in, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay so i'll have to send you some money but whatever no. <laughs> that's fine <too. laughs> I'm, I'm willing to do that you know me i'm a i'm a team player all right so i got one more i'll think about it um hmm yeah i don't know man i don't know what's at the t- shit now i have to look because i the list has gotten pretty long but there's definitely i mean i I think we've talked about it at length. It's like this year has been sort of semi like not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to say that too, because there have been such good things like no one will save you. But at the same time, it's like there's that as being pretty good. Yeah. There, uh, there were definitely like a number of movies that like, idea on paper sounded very intriguing just the execution wasn't quite there so it just kind of like muddled a lot of my feelings uh towards some movies because of that yeah i kind of you know i'm kind of in that place where i want to pick something maybe a little i I, i've been like really on the kind of like the movie watching i've been really onto the indie stuff Mm -hmm. and anything that's made on the cheap and still gets a good score kind of almost by virtue of that gets like an extra point for being indie. So, all right. I think, I, I think I have an idea here. I think I have an idea. It's going to be one of two, one of two. Okay. All right. All right. I will let you know by our next recording, what the magic I'm going to bring is. Sounds good. Uh, so on that note, guys, be sure to join us on Tuesday uh, for our next Wasted Tuesday, when we'll be watching Birth Rebirth, and of course, we'll be recording that episode on Wednesday of that week. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, you guys, uh, enjoy your weeks. Hope to see you on Tuesday, and we'll catch you around for the next one. Y'all have a good night.